Hey everybody, welcome back to the 12-6 podcast. I'm your host, Colin McHugh. This episode is part two in our three-part series about agents in baseball. If you haven't heard the first episode with my agent, Mike Moy of the Moy Sports Agency in Atlanta, feel free to go back and listen to that great conversation when you're done here. In this episode, however, we get to talk to one of my favorite people in the agency world, Scott Barber of the Ballinger Group in Dallas, Texas. I've known Scott for years and played with and against basically all of his clients. And there are a few guys in the game who have such a stellar reputation as he does and pretty much nobody who out-hustles him. Compared to my two other agent guests, he's relatively new to the game, but by no means is he a rookie. He's got nearly 20 years of experience under his belt in the agency world, from his days out in Hollywood to his legal work at the arbitration table. We talk about recruiting players and the rejection that goes along with it, starting an agency from scratch, and how he's added matchmaker to his list of agent attributes. As always, if you're not subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that so that you're always up to date when new episodes air. And without further ado, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Scott Barber. How has this been for you guys? Do you guys get to like travel at all anymore or like go meet people or what's the deal? No, we got, we got a big fat letter from the MLBPA about staying away from players. And I mean, obviously, can you imagine like, Scott Barber wants to go see Tony Kemp on the A's. Okay, I'm going to take a flight to be there, maybe go through three airports before I get to Oakland, take an Uber. Also, I can have lunch with Tony, and now I've potentially infected the whole team and ruined their chances of a championship because some agent wanted to have lunch with his guy, you know? Yeah. So, it's kind of terrifying. The, the ripple effect of one bad decision is just outrageous right now. It's unbelievable. And, you know, that was the funny thing I thought when this started because – Players are on the road, okay, bubbled up pretty good. Go straight to your hotel room. Go straight to the bus. But then when you're home, okay, you're going home to your wife who is taking the kids to school, who is going to the grocery store. And, like, I just – I and and you, it's tough. It's tough because guys want to be with their wives and family, and they should. And But it's kind of, like, a little bit laughable, too, because you're kind of kidding yourself to, I like – if you're on the road, it's like the final scene from E.T., you know, where people are zipping, <laughs> unzipping doors to go through them. And then uh, once they're home, it's like, hey, honey, what have you been doing today? Oh, I went to 17 places across Atlanta. Oh, come here. So it's been really crazy because for me, even um, in, the, in, in even during the summertime, I'm typically gone two or three nights a week seeing big leaguers or minor leaguers. That's just... There's X amount of times I see guys during the year. I just have my own little calendar for that. And, and I got it. Got it. I, I just, I'm 41 years old, man. I, I can't do relationships through texting and, and Instagram. So I got to see my guys. And so it's going to be interesting when the season ends, because maybe October or November will be super busy just seeing guys in their hometowns or something, but I don't want to mess anything up. What's what's going on with MLB right now. And then they're talking about opening up instructs. Uh, pretty soon and trying to mirror what they've done at the alt sites. And apparently instructs is going to be real hands off too. like guys have to go straight to the hotel and don't go out to eat and they're going to open it up. So scouts can be there. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, I mean, all these player to be named laters, nobody's been scouted this year. And so I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on these pro guys, pro scouts to like go to instructs and things like that. 
Even I mean, I don't know, man. The amount of teams that have now uh, trimmed their pro scouting staffs down to, I mean, a skeleton crew because they're doing a lot of mostly video stuff. So it's, I feel like they've been preparing for this too for a while. But like, there's something you can't really really replace getting an getting eyes on people, getting a getting to have a conversation with a guy. You know, there's a lot more to it than what is how fast can he swing up, swing a bat or throw a baseball. You know. Well, also, too, even at the alt site, it's not like these guys are in the heat of competition. You know, it's not like Toledo is playing Columbus in the International League and they're getting ready for the playoffs. It's it's you have a 45 year old coach playing third base and like (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 uh, crazy. You know, we we made those restrictions so tight. The 60 man, these guys are stuck without enough bodies. Yeah. And they yeah. don't want to put too many of their young players on there and then be stuck with them. And it's been wild. My wife doesn't know what to do with me because um, <laughs> I've been an agent ever since I've known her. You know, I mean, I met her. And the reason I'm in New Orleans, because that's where she's from. And she evacuated to Atlanta during Hurricane Gustav in 2008 because they thought that was going to be the next Katrina. And I met her when she was in town evacuating. It was like around Labor Day weekend that year. And I was already an agent by then. And so she's always known this lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, like this summer, she's seeing me every day. I mean, I go to our Dallas office a little bit right now, but like, dude, I don't know what to do, man. I I, I, like joined like the men's club softball team the other night. I've never had time to like join a men's club for my daughter's school or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's giving us a whole new range of possibilities, right? Uh, I don't know what to do. It's weird. (laughs) Well, it's first, weird. thank you, thank you so much for yeah. being on this. This is, uh, I'm, I'm really excited yeah. because me and you have known each other for a long time. But also, I think your yeah. perspective here, um, in terms of being an agent and what being an agent actually means, uh, is something that people have a huge misconception about. People outside of baseball have probably one idea of what it means, and then players and families inside of baseball have probably have a very different yeah. idea of of what an agent actually does and what they what they mean. Um, and I want to do a little bit of background on you. I want to hear your story sure. and then uh, talk to you a little bit about kind of where we're at in today's game and, and kind of get your take on some things. Yeah, of course. Well, I appreciate it, man. So, you know, when you when you talk about our industry as a whole, it's interesting because what what is an agent? Why, why do you need an agent? Why do agents exist? And I think it be- comes from the old school days. And old school days is really probably just 20 years ago where it's like, okay, I need a lawyer to stand in between me and this team, which is a multi-million dollar and now a billion dollar corporation, right? Like, I just want to pitch, you know, come here, attorney, and will you talk to the GM? I don't want to deal with them. And it was it was strictly that intermediary relationship where a, a true, like, I'm hiring you for this job. You go out and do this contract for me. Thank you very much. To now... The modern agent, oh my God, did you go to enough perfect game events this summer? How many times have you seen my son play? What do you think about his curveball? And and uh, the the level of involvement is almost, almost laughable because at the end of the day, what you're really charging a fee for is, hey, but for me in your life, you're now making $12 million this year because if you were handling this on your own, they would have taken advantage of you and you only made $8 million or something like that. That, that original concept, just, just like you want to hire an attorney to represent you if you're going through a divorce or if you're having a DUI or yeah. uh, any type of situation like that, a major business transaction, right? So you went from that to this full service agency model, which was 
probably when I was starting to really come to fruition when I was getting in. So I'll back up a little bit on my story and then I'll get there. But my story is basically I was born into baseball. My dad was a college baseball coach um, at DeKalb College in Atlanta, which was back. That was kind of like the Chipola equivalent uh, back in yeah. the 80s. And it was a whole different world. They had draft and follow. And, and these junior college teams would would really beat up on a lot of players. And there was a, it was a huge pipeline to the big leagues and DeKalb College. Jim Morris was a coach at DeKalb College before my dad. Um, that, you know, went on to Georgia Tech and then recently retired after a long stint at Miami this year. And so I was born um, hanging out in dugouts and and being at the yard constantly. Um, my junior, dad went on. Junior college get, is a junior college is a for, for people who don't know, it's a hotbed for baseball talent because of the way the draft works. Doubt. Yeah. Being able to come out of high school and go p- play one year instead of playing three years. And we, I mean, Baseball players come from all across the board, but junior college is one of the, I feel like one of the underrated or probably uh, lesser known pipelines that comes out and Chipola being one down in Florida, but um, really all th- being, went to a, going to a small school myself, a small NAIA school. Yeah. We had tons of JUCO guys come through, really, really talented players that uh, we, were, we were just never going to get a shot at the big D1s or were really interested in starting their careers as early as possible. Oh yeah. I mean, look, and with, with, with what they did to the draft this year and it's it's going to be a little yep. bit better next year but still modified the big winner in all of this are the juco's absolutely no because kids were getting offered cents on the dollar so you know most that a lot of top guys that that come from a, a, a substantial family financial background they're going to go to school regardless unless they're getting three million plus dollars but at the same time a lot of people that maybe would have been a little bit more signable than usual they ended up in school and now you've got all these extra guys at school. Now you've got all these extra fifth year seniors. Now you've got all these extra roster spots and some of these major programs are going to have what 50 guys running around out right. there this fall. Yeah. And so you're going to see a lot of Christmas break transfers. I bet too, where little yeah. Johnny gets to school and he's like, I don't see myself playing as a freshman. <laughs> I'm going to go to Juco and be right back in the draft this year, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's made it. And you know, the Juco has always got a spot. In any year, regardless, but especially right now, with the amount of talent that they're going to be seeing at these schools for guys that just want to have another bite at the apple at the draft and and things and just want more reps, you know. So and DeCab was a like DeCab was a junior college at that point in time, yeah, yeah. And then it became um, Georgia Perimeter College in the late '90s, and then Georgia Perimeter College got gobbled up by Georgia State. So right. now there's nothing at all. So yeah, I grew up in that world and I, you know, all these scouts, especially in the Southeast and in Georgia, they all come from that world too. So even today, when I go out to a draft event or some, it's some of these older scouts, they're my dad's buddies they're people I've known since I was a little kid. And so I always grew up in that world. And after my dad got done with scouting, he uh, was one of the ATEC guys, the pitching machine company, pitching machines and batting cages. And so all through college and law school, I was building batting cages for beer money and stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, so just always been around it, even even in that element. So I ended up um, going to Georgia Tech and playing there, 97, 98-ish. And um, what really, the first step in putting me on the path to where I am now was, you know, there was, those were some really good teams at Georgia Tech in the mid-late 90s. One day, Coach Guy, who's now at Georgia, ironically, comes up to me. And Coach Strickland, who's the head coach at Georgia, was our yeah. volunteer assistant back then. And they came to me and they're like, Scott, yeah, we, um, 
don't know how much playing time you're going to get next year. We just signed this guy named Mark Teixeira. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we got everyone seems to be coming back. I mean, we'd love to have you, but, and that was kind of that moment for me. I was like, you know what? I, I need to really start thinking about like what I need to do to put myself in the best position possible for my future. And, and you know what, I need to get my grades straight. I need to um, make sure that I do what I need to do to get in a good grad school and, um, and go from there. So from that day on, I kind of knew baseball wasn't going to be there for me long-term. And I knew that I needed to make good grades and put myself in position for grad school. I really wanted to go get an MBA actually. And then nine 11 happened. And Mm. when I graduated, not, I was a fall, I was a fall graduate that year. So nine 11 literally happened as I was studying for the LSAT. Cause I was, I was going to look at maybe do an MBA and then go to law school or something. I just, I just knew I wanted to do something like that. And when nine 11 happened, the job market just went to kaput. And so everybody went, wanted to go to grad school that year. And so all the top grad schools were like, they upped their standards and they said, you know, like I wanted to go to the Terry college of business and, um, at Georgia, and they didn't want to talk to anyone that didn't have four years work experience. So I kind of ended up in law school by default because I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm I, I'm good at taking tests right now. I don't want to go work and then stop working and go back to school. And so I, I ended up at uh, Georgia State in downtown Atlanta, College of Law. And um, it was a fantastic decision. When you go to a law school like that in downtown as opposed to Athens or anywhere else, you're in the middle of the business world. Right. So the in, the interning opportunities are unbelievable. The the federal courthouse is downtown. You know the Supreme Court, the the um, Capitol, the legislature, and so and Georgia State had a night program. And so my fellow classmates, my we're all competitors in a sense because you're all ranked against each other in law school. They weren't 24 year olds. They were average age was like 29 because you had a lot of people making mid career shifts. You had that cop that wanted to be a prosecutor. You know, you had that nurse that wanted to do health law, and it was really hyper competitive that way. But um, you know, through those experiences, I was able to get. I started to get a feel for what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do sports entertainment law. And I got an internship with Atlanta Spirit LLC, which was the ownership group of the Hawks, the Thrashers, and Phillips Arena at the time, yeah. back when we still had a hockey team. And I, I, the head guy there was a guy, um, Scott Wilkinson, who's still there now. And um, I got to work for him, and it was incredible just to understand those high-level sports entertainment contracts and and get it on my resume. And then at the same time, I became a mediator at the Fulton County Justice Center. Back then, they would let law students mediate cases. And to mediate cases and to kind of mix it up with these people that are in really tough situations that are at each other's throats, and I'm their last step before going before a judge, and they would have to come to me, they have to sit down, and these people want to kill each other. And it was my job to say, hey, if we can't figure this out in the next hour, you're going to go before a judge, and there's no turning back. Yeah. And by doing that, I was like, you know what? I I like problem solving. I like negotiating with people. I like what's called alternative dispute resolution, which is really the the backbone of what we do in baseball, really. And uh, that kind of really put me on the path. Like, I think I can do this. I'm good at this type of stuff. I like contracts. I like sports entertainment law. And and I like being a mediator and, and kind of problem solving that in that way. It put me on a path to where after I graduated, I got a job at the William Morris Agency in Hollywood, uh, which is now William Morris Endeavor. And if you ever seen the show Entourage, 
back in the day, you know, with Ari Gold and all that. It was based on that. Yeah. And and so that w- I was one of those kids in suits, like working in the mailroom, getting screamed at all day. <laughs> and I would never want to go through that again. But at the same time, it was probably one of the most amazing learning experiences of my life just to spend a year or two out there um, doing the mailroom route, doing the Hollywood agency route. I was in a, what was called an agent training class. And it was it was really hard to get into. And and I got lucky. My sister was a reality television producer at the time. She had <laughs> she had graduated from Georgia and went out to L.A. just for fun and won a truck on The Price is Right. And parlayed <laughs> that into like being able to stay out there longer because she immediately cashed it out for like 30 grand. And then she became like a pretty uh, well-known uh, reality TV producer because that was, you know, that was all the rage back then was reality that was, television. Yeah, I mean, that was like the sweet spot for reality TV, yeah. Oh yeah. So I worked at the William Morris agency and, um, had some amazing experiences. Uh, the main agent I worked for is a guy named Charles King, who's now a producer in Hollywood. And he was from Atlanta. He went to Southwest DeKalb high school. And, and so he kind of took me under his wing and I learned the business from there. Kind of always knew I wanted to come back to Atlanta. Right. And, um, and so I, I kind of paid my dues, learned the business, came back to Atlanta and became a trial lawyer. Uh, with a downtown Atlanta firm. And and that was another great experience. It was more of something I knew I didn't want to do long-term, but I wanted to get that experience in before it was too late. And um, while I was doing that, my buddy and old teammate from Georgia Tech, Victor Minical, was at CSC. And, and yeah. CSC was this, was this big company in Atlanta, 200 employees. You know, they had broadcasters, coaches, uh, baseball, uh, golf. I mean, they had everything. A lot of corporate marketing. I remember them being the thing, like the the agency in Atlanta. Like growing up in Atlanta, I was like, oh, if there's an agency, it's CSE. They do. It's career sports. They do. If you're interested in anything in sports, they're your like full service people. A lot of of Braves clients. And at that point, like the Braves were the shit. So it made sense to me. It was um, Lonnie Cooper. Lonnie Cooper was Spud Webb's agent, and he spun that into taking over basically the um, basketball coaches arena. And at one point in time, I think 80% of all NBA coaches were represented by Lonnie Cooper. And he spun that into uh, uh, becoming John Smoltz's agent and Mm -hmm. then um, growing from there to when I went over there, they had, you know, Smoltz and Francoeur and Bobby Cox and they had they had, had Olsen and like and Lemke and all the Braves guys and it was a lot of history in that place and they uh, had a really good thing going for a long time. So they um, they gave me an offer. This was when Molly Fletcher, who was famously known as Jenny McGuire at the time, she was like one of the the only like top top like female agents in that space. Uh, there was Jill Smoller at William Morris, ironically, and Molly Fletcher at the same time. And Jill Smoller still doing it, representing the the Williams sisters in tennis and Kevin Garnett and. Um, it was a really crazy time over there because back then they were at the forefront of that whole full service agency model. They were at the beginning of that. So when I went over to CSE, places like CAA were still just entertainment only. CAA wasn't doing baseball and football back then. Hmm. Um, it was still IMG was, was what was doing that before they came over there. And so it was, they were really ahead of their time that at that day and age in the early to mid two thousands, they were still. Um, had this concept of, bam, we do PR, bam, we do marketing. In fact, we also represent Home Depot and Coca-Cola and we do all these things. It was really cool. And they actually hired me as an attorney, not as an agent. And so 
I went over there to work on broadcaster contracts and coaches contracts and baseball contracts and, and marketing and everything else. And that was when East Cobb baseball was really blowing up. And Victor dragged me out to East Cobb a few times. <laughs> Jason the complex. liked me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the rest is history, you know. Next thing I know, I'm on the road with him all the time, going to East Coast Pro and and running around like a crazy man. And that's that was kind of my start in this business. At, yeah. at that point, you had law background, mm-hmm. law school. You had the mediation. You had experience out in Hollywood with entertainment stuff. Yeah. You also had your background in baseball. So did it feel like you were always kind of heading in this direction? Or did the baseball thing kind of jump up on you when Victor was like, hey, come along, come along with me? I, I knew I wanted to do something like that, and but it really and and until Victor kind of got in my head a little about it, I just didn't think it was. I, I just thought I'd end up going back to LA for something like that. I didn't think I would be able to do it in Atlanta, and so yeah. it was um it was a blessing and it was a um it was an amazing opportunity because when you're an attorney in this business, your your entire worth isn't just your client list. And I try to explain that to young guys that want to get in this business. And I'm like, bro, I always tell guys, it's like, hey, man, do you really want your entire worth to be whether or not you have X player or Y player? Like, like you got to find a different way to add value to what we're doing as a company now. So like, because we have players that will retire and want to join our company now at Balangy Group. And we always start guys out in, in equipment and trading cards and things like that and client services to learn the business the right way. Because when you're, when you're building up, you can't go straight from nothing to, okay, why are you paying me? Well, I don't have any clients or, or I have a clients and I have five minor leaguers or yeah. the company's not making money off any of those people. Why should you be paid? So you always want to be earning your worth in a lot of other ways. So I was blessed because I was, I came into this business being like, I'm here to be an attorney and then I'm going to, I'm going to recruit while I can, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to build my book of business that way, but I'm not living and dying by hanging on fences at the East Cobb complex or anything like that. So I was very fortunate, you know, my first day on the job, John Smoltz is in the office and they add my name to his player agent designation for just like that. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, I represent, I, I technically represent John Smoltz. Like oh I just God, signed I just the best player my- ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, John, <laughs> who introduced you to Scott? <laughs> um, and, then, and then Mark DeRosa and everyone else. And it was great. And it was because I was an attorney that they did that because I was another mind that, that got to be added into all those meetings. And so I didn't have to really work my way up from, from going out and getting my own clients from scratch. I was able to kind of come in at that level and um, not so much take my time building my business, but like be able to add value in multiple ways and, and take the pressure off and, and kind of uh, be able to do things the right way. Because by, by that that point, Victor it was already deep into his career and he, cause he had come over just from playing and, and um, he may have been a client there too as well. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, and so I always um, had that hybrid role of I'm going to the yard. I'm fly, I'm flying to see a player, but I've also got a bag full of contracts I'm reviewing while I'm doing this. So, or, you know, once arbitration season starts, that's always a, a super busy time for me. And, and things like that. So it's, um, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to do that, uh, in both ways and not just being a pure agent, but an, an attorney agent. And that's always been important to me to have that. It's, it's in a weird way. I always look forward to arbitration season because you're coming off that summer of just your whole world is just, Hey man, want to do lunch? Yeah. <laughs> hey man, good game. You know, and there's always so much you can do. And, 
or going to scouting draft events and things like that and praying some 17 year old is going to call me back, you know, and then, yep. then you get to arbitration season. It's like, oh, yeah, OK, this is this is why I went to law school. This is why, you know, I want to do this and 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 helping run those processes for us and, and just getting down to, to real deal business, heading into the offseason and free agency and everything else. So. When you got into the baseball side of things, I know a big part of, like you're talking about, a big part of agency life is kind of hitting the road, recruiting, having to talk to a million guys. Do you remember that first process of like having to go out and get your first client or remember like the the feeling or like when it actually came to fruition? Yeah. So after a few weeks, they couldn't help themselves because it's the agency business. They they kind of knocked on my office like so we're having a recruiting meeting um you know we do them every monday at nine just want to see like who you're talking to and from there it moved pretty quickly to where their expectations started to rise and it was like so who's on your list this week who are you talking to and why and so my first client from me actually actively trying to put myself out there that way was charlie culberson yeah he had just been drafted in the first round he had an agent, this guy named CJ Stewart. Who, no, um, I know him well. <laughs> <laughs> so at the t- CJ was, was, was trying to be an agent back then. Yeah. And, and I had known CJ through my dad because from the JUCO ranks in baseball and as a, as a hit, local hitting instructor. And it was really an interesting thing where he was looking to get out of the agent side of it because his, his hitting business was growing and I was getting in and he kind of was, he was like, Hey, he, my, he called me and I'm like, oh God, I'm about to get blown up by CJ Stewart about Charlie <laughs> Culberson. And he was like, hey, I'm so glad Charlie went with you. I'm so excited. You know, this makes a lot of sense. You know, I've been looking for the right fit to kind of move him on to. I, I, after I handled his draft, I really didn't mean to become an agent. I just wanted to help the kid. And um, and I've had a great relationship with CJ ever since. And, you know, all the things he's doing with lead and his programs. Mm-hmm. And um, and he became a good friend of the agency from, from there on too. And so, um, Next thing you know, I'm I'm representing Charlie Culberson, who had just gone in the first round, and this you know little shaved head kid playing in Augusta, Georgia, and um, kind of went from there, and um, got another minor leaguer, then another minor leaguer, and then um, started helping recruit some major league guys, and started getting some meetings with some real deal dudes, and um, had a had a few swings and misses, but uh, went from there, and then. Um, they kind of grew and grew and, and, and got some swap overs and got some guys through the draft. And then in 2008 or nine, I got my first legit first rounder that I worked up on my own and signed on my own and sent. And that was Kyle Parker, who mm-hmm. was the quarterback at Clemson at the time. Yeah. And so that, that was probably my first one where it was like, no, it's not just Scott helping Victor on a guy. This is like Scott's guy. And that was an amazing one because he was kind of famous and that's yeah. as Clemson's quarterback at the time. And, and, you know, he was, uh, he was playing third base for Clemson when he should have been a senior in high school because he graduated early. So it could be at spring football. So that was, that was my first like legit, uh, on my own worked up first rounder. And, and it kind of went from there to, um, to where I am today at this point of, I've, I've probably represented all collectively over a hundred big leaguers at this point yeah. and dozens and dozens and dozens of, arbitration cases and and to where we're at now with Ballinger group but that was yeah that's that was probably how things got started for me and, and went from there and i've known you and your name for a long time because throughout this whole process i was probably cj's last client before he decided not to be an agent anymore 
he uh, okay. he, had me, he had me coming out of the draft in, in 08. And um, within like a year, he was like, "Hey, man, like it's it's not going to work out. I'm 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 moving on." He's like, "I wish you all the best." And at that point, I was nobody. I was an 18th rounder coming out of a small small school in the Mets organization. And I was like, I don't think I need an agent right now. Um, but then, as we started moving, as I started kind of moving up the ranks, and then uh, I got traded over to got traded over to Colorado, and I played with Kyle when I got traded over to Colorado in Tulsa. Um, yeah. And so, a lot of clients, a lot of your clients along the way, I was like. I know, I know these guys. I know his name. I'm from Atlanta. Um, and then we took a meeting when I was doing my whole, yeah. like, I think I need an agent thing. And, uh, you were like, you and Mike were my last two guys. And I was like, this is kind of a coin flip right here for me. Um, and I, <laughs> it goes back to what I, what I want to talk to all you guys about is the idea of rejection. I kind of have this, um, yeah. I kind of have this theory about baseball players and baseball agents and why, baseball players and agents have such strong relationships and, and bonds is because in a lot of ways it is such a, such a rat race and such like a, a lot yeah. of failures and a few successes along the way. And I'm sure that you understand that like as, as an agent, but um, do you feel like those have along, I mean, me in general, not that I was a big, a big fisher at, by, by any stretch of the imagination, but when you miss on guys, what does it feel like? Well, what I've learned over the years is what rejection is a, just like any sales job. It, being an agent is a sales job in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. which is ironic because one of the reasons I wanted to go to law school was I liked the idea of people having to pay me for my time. Like as a lawyer, oh, are you taking up my time today? Here's a bill for that. Yeah. You know? and, and and being an agent is is the complete opposite. It's giving my time away nonstop and to, to maybe get a return, maybe not. And that, like you said, with rejection, knowing, especially in Atlanta, and especially in the Atlanta draft scene, you mm-hmm. know, you talk to a, a dozen kids, you don't, you may land one or two, not because you're not any good, but because they're meeting with 13 different agents and it's yeah. that chaotic. Um, and so you have to get comfortable with rejection. You have to learn to not take it personally. And you have to understand that there are always so many factors outside of just you. And did you say the right thing? Was your presentation on point? Did you not talk about what you thought this guy wanted you to talk about? And and it was hard to get over for a long time. Earlier in my career, I'd always want to be like, okay, you know, if, if I was getting that call, you know, the call always starts off with, it's the toughest decision I've ever had to make. And you're like, <laughs> oh God, just stop, you know? And, and you always want to be like, well, what can we do better? What could I have done better? You know, what were you looking for that we weren't providing or anything like that? And eventually you realize, you know, if I'm really that under providing and not doing things, I, I probably would have gone to a different company or changed or got out. There's actually nothing wrong with what I'm doing. These are human beings. There's human elements. There's lots of good people to choose from. And there's so many other factors that have nothing to do with me whatsoever. And so I'm now at a point where for me, it's just like, oh, okay, good luck to you, you know, whatever tough decision. I'll see you on the road. I'll be cheering for you, you know, where yeah. I used to not sleep for a week and try to figure it out. No, oh, when I was in that meeting, I should have said this, or I should have shown them this graph about <laughs> this, you know, or, or um, I should have made one more phone call to his coach, you know, and um, and so you have to be comfortable with rejections and understand that you're also dealing with baseball players whose life is rejections. You know, yeah. you're you fail seven times out of ten, and you're an all star. You get 
think about what think about the minor leagues is right hey congratulations you're having success in a ball now we're going to call you up to high a and let you get your ass kicked for a year yeah. and make some adjustments and figure out and we're going to call you up to double a and you're going to suck for like the first oh, two months man. and you're going to have to get over it you know so um so yeah you know you as far as rejections go and stuff like that you know you were you were a good one you were one that, that it broke my heart a little bit i was i, I remember that day i was in um i was Mary, to marry my Catholic wife, I had to go through pre-Cana training. So I had, to, I had to go through learning how to be a Catholic. And I was at some pre-Cana training on a Saturday and you called and I was so sure you were going with me. I was like, hey, man. And then you're like, hey, so it's been a really tough decision. And I was like, like Damn oh, it. God. <laughs> yeah. And then I and then then you kick ass for like the next decade. And it's like, God dang it. Oh, man. Like at, but that's at that part point, of business, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned something earlier about when you're in the Atlanta scene, really any kind of baseball hotbed throughout the Southeast or out in California, Florida, Texas, there's going to be obviously a glut of super talented players. But alongside of that, there's now, I mean, well over 100, maybe pushing 200 registered agents at this point. So of all the people that you're you're talking to, like you said, you could be interviewing 12, 13, 14 other other agents. And I don't know if that's changed from the time that you got into agency to where it is now, but um, I know that you made a change from CSE out yeah. to, to Ballingy. Did I want to talk a little bit about that because it seems like yeah. it's, it wasn't just a location change or a, a firm change necessarily, but it was kind of a change in mindset around agency at this point, correct? Yeah. CSE had just moved from our offices at the Galleria to our own headquarters like our own building that we owned and it was unbelievable it was like google we had putting greens out front we had all these storyboards when you walked in i mean it was the sexiest thing you've ever seen and and god bless him i had my own office and it was nice i mean it was cool (laughs) but at at that time csc had the baseball division was division number like 20 in that building Mm. and um you and we were, we did a great job and and I and you know I worked with Keith Grunwald over there who's who's to this day I, you know I hug him every time I see him just one of the best dudes in this business and and I learned so much from him all my years over there but um we had gotten to a, a spot where you could just kind of feel and, and he's not there over there anymore either you could feel things were kind of changing from a corporate level just with with the head guy's interest and some and you know everyone's entitled to run their companies however they want so. You could, you could tell things were changing, and I got a call in the middle of the night one time, and it was it was actually from Gerard Roberts, the longtime East Cobb coach, mm-hmm. and it was like, and he said, hey, man, sometimes in life when you have an opportunity, you better take it before it passes you, and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, there's a guy in Texas <laughs> who wants to meet you, and he's he's comes from the oil business, and blah, 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 and he's like, just take a meeting, man, you know, and at the time... I was like, look, I, I'm pretty good at CSE. I, I, I like everyone I work with. I, I think we got some good things going on. But look, if some guy wants to fly me and my wife to Dallas and put us in the Ritz for a weekend, like I'm going to take my wife on a nice weekend, you know? Yeah. And I um, I went over there and my whole mindset was, all right, I'm going to go to this rich guy's house. And I told him, I was like, have a whiteboard when I get there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to map out a few things for you. I'm going to show you how awful this business is and how how hard it is to make money and how it's a terrible business model. and so I go over there and my whole spiel was to say, hey, you could make more money flipping a few oil deals in a day than you could make in 10 years in this business. And I and his response to me was, that's not what I'm here to do. 
you know, I'm, I'm here to do something completely different. I'm tired of seeing what I'm seeing. And these players only looked at as profit margins for people. I want to help people. I want to do things the right way. And I, I want to give people a platform to do something special. And, and we, and long story short, I, I, I just fell in love with the guy and, and I knew he had me and my family's best interest at heart. And his plan was to kind of build something for the next 20 years in this business. In baseball, there's a lot of competitors that have been around for a long time. There's, yeah. there's some real institutions in our business, some staples, uh, yeah. which you don't, which you don't really have in other sports. And so, um, or to the same extent, at least. And so he kind of laid out his vision for me and and I bought into it and my job, he's like, what I want you to do is help us build this company. If your players come with you from CSC, great. If they, if they don't, I'm not worried about it. I want you for you. And I, and I want to build this thing. And I, and I want to, uh, instead of stealing clients, like other people are trying to do, I want to steal agents. And so I spent two straight years over there after I left CSE, just trying to hire talent. And, and what we were looking for at the time was mid 30 year olds that wanted to be at this certain traject upward trajectory for the next 30 years. We didn't, we weren't looking at go get guys that may retire in the next 10 years or anything like that. And, and we built it out the right way. So, um, we had, we built this agency of all these guys that came from other agencies and came from big agencies. And yeah, I had met with, uh, I had met with a few of you before and I and knew of you, uh, yeah. a lot of you. So when you all formed this group, I was like, wait, who, who was there? It was really cool to see. It was actually, it was pretty funny too. Cause when we all got together, it was kind of like some of our players were like, like Jacob may was one of my guys at the time. And he was like, Oh, Jeff Randazzo is joining Ballinger. Oh, he was recruiting me like a year ago. And I'm like, Jeff, what? <laughs> <laughs> and there was a, there was a lot of that. We had people come over from Beverly Hills sports council, from MVP, uh, from all, from all over the place, from ISE. And, um, and it was fun because we kind of picked each other to work with. And so we kind of became a fraternity instantly and we hit the scene and at 2014 and it was like, who is this group? What's going on with these people that got together with this oil guy. And, but really the model, the model we had was what was different on a basic level was most agencies are formed because they have a tentpole client that they grow out of. Right. BB Abbott was Chipper Jones's best friend from high school or whatever. And you had Chipper Jones and you grew from there, you know, Lonnie Cooper met John Smoltz because John Smoltz's agent died in a plane crash with, uh, with Payne Stewart's with guy Payne back Stewart, in yeah. And, um, and he was looking for an agent. And so they grew that division based off John Smoltz and all those early Braves guys. And, and everyone has a similar story where what we did was more similar to Rock Nation. We, we were kind of based on our owner and leveraging those assets and that person to grow and not grow based on some tentpole client. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a really different, it was a different way to do things. And so, um, it's been a wild ride, man. I, I moved from Atlanta to Dallas to set up shop there and then ended up going from Dallas to new Orleans. Once we started having multiple kids, because all I do is get on airplanes for a living. So my wife, you know, <laughs> yeah. she needs to be with her family <laughs> to help, help carry the loads. And so I'm just going to the airport all the time and we've grown from there. And, you know, at this point we have over 50 big leaguers and we'll have, pushing 20 arbitration cases this year. So oh, good it, was, luck with it, that. Was, it was wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it's about to get, it's about to get busy in the, uh, <laughs> it's going to be crazy this year. In the house. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be insane. But our, our arbitration team alone is 13 different people. I mean, it's, it's insane. I love it. It's so much fun, but, um, yeah, I had to, it, it was, it was scary kind of starting over, you know, I mean, we were starting over in a lot of ways, you yeah. know, and, 
And um, you talk about rejection. Rejection doesn't come in just not getting a guy you're trying to sign. You know, I had, I had all the all my guys, but one came, and the one that didn't was the one guy that was going to arbitration that year. Mm. And so, so what? One of the other heartbreaks of this business is sometimes when you lose a guy. Now, look, looking back, I was getting trying to get this guy to join an agency that just had a logo made the day before, and it was his first year <laughs> arbitration. I mean, come on, <laughs> but. Man, this was a guy that put me through a lot. And for me to lose him at the one yard line like that, after all yep. the years I'd put in and some for, for some other agent, just to scoop him at the one yard line and make money off that guy for the past 10 years, you know, that's part of the heartbreak you see in this, in this business. And I was comfortable with it because I realized, you know, I was asking a lot by asking him to, during his first year of arbitration, join an agency that didn't exist four weeks before. But, um, that's, those are some of the other kind of rejections you deal with and kind of, because when you get rejected in this business, you're still seeing these guys on TV every night, you no know, doubt. and, and you, you have to remind yourself to be the bigger person and still root for them and, and look past that, that they're all human beings making tough decisions. At the end of the day, you can't feel sorry for any agent because as an agent, you're trying to get someone's business. And it's just the same as like, I look at it this way. One of the things at CSC, we did a lot of work for Coca-Cola. Okay. And every year they did these things called requests for proposals. When you're trying to get someone's business on the marketing side, you're doing a request for proposal. And it'd be like Coca-Cola, like, hey, for college game day, we're looking for, we're going to look at four different agencies to earn our business to run the college game day stage for Kenny Chesney or whatever. Okay. When you earn that business, someone else lost that business. Yeah. Someone else lost the Coca-Cola account the year before, but, but it's so much, it's, it's so highly personalized on the, on the agent side. And, you just have to think of it as like a piece of business that you either gained or you lost. At the end of the day, you're trying to ask some player to take, you know, 5% of their earnings. You better be able to earn that. They better be able to feel like you earned it because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it, it is a business and you can get really wrapped up in, in the fact that, oh, I thought we were friends and, uh, you know, I know your kids and all that. It's like, yeah, you do and you should. And that's all a part of it. But at the end of the day, this is a business relationship and their, their business life needs to be better because you're in it. Yeah. And if their business life isn't better because you're in it, then what's the point? That's the mentality you really have to stick to. Yeah. Like coming up through the minor leagues, I remember that really the only thing the agents did for a lot of guys was come visit them, make sure they're not lonely yeah. and or dying in the minor leagues, give them some cleats, gloves, some bats, some batting gloves, and like say like, hey, stick with it, brother, because yeah. I know your I know your life is uh, not great right now, but like also I'm not making anything off of you unless you not only make it to the big leagues but stick. So you're putting right. a lot of faith in people. So it is a weird like hybrid and extremely personal relationship that's being built, um, and over the usually over the course of many many years because baseball players our development stage is is not like basketball or football where at 18 we're bam right in the bit right in the you know no. on the center stage. So you've walked you've walked. And handheld guys through a lot. Yeah. And you and you have to be okay with that. And you have to be okay with, you know, they call it the 80-20 rule, but in baseball it's probably more like 95-5 rule. That 95% yeah. of the guys are never gonna put food on your family's table. And so with that in mind, I've always said I have a certain rule and certain guys that I want to work for. If I know that most of the guys I'm gonna work for are never gonna help pay for my kids' school then I better enjoy the time with them. I better appreciate it. And I better have that intrinsic motivation to want to work with them. And so I always say, for me, if a player calls and their name shows up on my phone, what is my wife going to say? 
is she going to say, what does he want? <laughs> or is she going to say, oh, hey, it's Colin. Tell him I said, hey, hey, how's Ashley? How's the kids? You know? And as long as I'm working with people that are that that's what my wife's reaction is, because my, nobody knows you better than your wife. Nope. They see everything they, and they see even if you're faking it, they know that player is making you miserable. You know, yeah. if, if you've got a player like that, you know, and so that's that's my barometer. And, and I'm never going to be divorced over a player and I'm never going to be less of a dad over a player. And um, as, as long as that's how I feel about it. And those are the type of players I'm taking on and working for. Then I'm, I'm OK with it. Because then I'm motivated, then I genuinely care, and then they're getting the best out of me as well. And I look forward to seeing a guy in in A ball in Double A going out to Clinton, Iowa, going out to you know Wilmington, Delaware, yeah, and um, and just being with these guys and helping them grow as young men and 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 mature into into business people. You know, I think a lot of people when they think of agents, they think you know Jerry Maguire, they think you know, Drew Rosenhaus, they think of people, big personalities with want to be in the spotlight, kind of sharing the spotlight with their, with their clients. But from my experience with agents, it is very much, uh, more of a background, a lot of times a thankless job, uh, because and yeah. especially on, especially on your side with your expertise doing, uh, a lot of law work and actual, uh, negotiations and backroom dealing, um, not in a bad way, but like for your clients and what you have to do both with teams and with, uh, with equipment companies. But when you got into it, did you have an expectation of it that was different than what it actually is in reality? You know, I I think the problem I had is I stepped right into it and went straight to the big league. So I thought every winter meetings was going to be as John Smoltz leaving Atlanta to go to the Red Sox (laughs) and, and as, as, Brian Cashman calling my phone five different times an hour, you know, it's been interesting over the years to have those winter meetings where you weren't the sexy agent at the winter meetings and, and having those years where, and it was no knock about you or your agency or anything, but just some years you've got big free agents. Some years you don't, some years you've got the guy that just blew up and Under Armour and Adidas all want to work with them. And, and some years, you know, you signed that guy last year, so there's nothing to do this year or whatever. So You've got that element, but yeah, I don't think anyone truly understands the day-to-day grind and the commitment of it. There's only so many winter meetings. There's only so many big league debuts. There's only um, so many off-season deals to do. And then it's really just about the day-to-day. And I think the key to longevity in this is having that sense of urgency towards your players and and being more worried about their career than they are. Because as soon as you lose that, I think that's when you start to slip. That's when you start to think you're okay with a guy when you're really not. And so when you talk about like what makes a good agent and, and what makes, you know, someone better than the other, or what makes you sick or what works for someone, I think it's more about, yes, you have to be confident. Yes, you have to have the experience. Yes, you have to be able to be someone that can get them the best arbitration deal, the best free agent deal, all those types of things. But at the same time, the way I view it is my players' problems are my problems, okay? So if you're losing yeah. sleep over something, I'm losing sleep over something. I cannot tell you how many things I have going on right now that have nothing to do with what they're doing on the field or what they're going to do this offseason, but a real-life issue yeah. that I'm working through for them, you know, and, and that I'm treating with a sense – or maybe something I'm working on for their wife or them and, and treating that with the same sense of urgency I would anything else. I think as, if, if you have that element – you can combine it with your skill set to last in this industry. 
But if you just want to base it on your competence, well, brother, that player has to play well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you a lot of skin in a lot like, of skin in the game for something that you can't control at all. Right, right. Like you can be the best attorney in the world, but if you don't got the player, it don't matter. You know? <laughs> and if and if you don't get the player to do that big deal for, you're not gonna get other players based off that, or you're gonna have to find a different way to recruit. I mean, it, it's it's all it's all interconnected and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, as like an attorney, if you join a law firm, you join a big law firm. They, they typically don't have an issue with work to do. You don't have to, I mean, there's some rainmaking involved, but you know, if you work at a defense firm, you have a contract with State Farm or Travelers Insurance or American Airlines or Delta, and the work just comes because people are always doing stupid stuff. And people are always having things go sideways and they need lawyers. And so you just need to be good at your job. You just need to be a competent attorney. But in our business, You've got to rainmake. You've got to go bring in those clients, and then you then they you have to place a bet on them, and mm-hmm. hope that bet works out that you get have the privilege to get to go do a big contract for them, and and not screw up that big contract for them, so to speak. But it's not like they're just out there nonstop every day, and that's just thrown on your lap. So, like when you talk about arbitration, it is such a blessing that we have as many arbitration cases. I look forward to grinding on that and everything because. You don't have that. You're not in business. Right. You know, that's how you stay alive in this business. You're just like a real estate agent. You're grateful that someone is being a pain in the ass about this house that they're looking to buy because that's the only way you're feeding your family. You've got to go out and get that business. And so um it's 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 similar in, in our ways in that end. And so it's it's about having that sense of urgency because you're doing a good job for these guys that aren't making any money in double A and keeping that relationship and treating their situation with a sense of urgency, guess what? They're going to introduce you to their teammates. They're going to refer you when they see someone that, that needs an agent and, that, and you're going to grow your business the right way that way as well. So it's, it's crazy like that. I will say there's, there's a downside a little bit in our industry where only in our industry can you, you have that risk of incompetent agents that mm-hmm. have the right client, right? right? You have that, like E on Entourage, you know, the pizza boy that was Vinny Chase's best friend. And now he gets to go to Hollywood with them. You do have that element that you wouldn't, like at a law firm, you join a law firm, you don't get to talk to a client maybe for two years. Like that's a (laughs) big moment in your career when they let you in the room with a client. You go write briefs, you go work on pleadings, you go back in the corner and you write, 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 write. And then when we trust you, we'll let you be in front of a client. Where in, the, in our business, a little bit, it's like this in other sports as well. It's like, this guy's an idiot, but man, and this superstar player loves him. You got a job, brother. Yeah. And you kind of like work backwards from there, you know? And so there's an interesting mix of that in our industry where there's some guys that are, are maybe not as competent as they should be, but the right player likes them. And then you've got some other guys that man, they're amazingly experienced and talented and they just maybe grown old or players don't find them mm-hmm. sexy or they just can't recruit anymore. And they're sitting on the sidelines when they've got unbelievable skill set, but they just keep, they don't have no mechanism for getting players anymore. And so you kind of have that weird uh, dichotomy in, in, in the baseball agent business that you don't see in that many other industries. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's kind of a cult of personality when it comes to some of these some of these agents and agencies, because a lot of it, like we talked about, a lot of it is not the negotiating in the room. A lot of it is, is this guy a good hang? You know, can he, can <laughs> yeah. he come out and can he, does he like 
take us out to good restaurants? Does he put like the right, does he have a good sense of style? Like there's so many intangibles to just being likable in this industry that is yeah. uh, looking at yourself. I feel like I would be so self-conscious all the time <laughs> because there's all these people yeah. looking at you to be something, you know, for each person. And you're not selling yourself to other adults. Yeah. Your, your business is getting the business of kids and 20 somethings, you know? And, yeah. And I, and I remind myself what I was like when I was in my twenties and it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, and think about like when you're dating in your twenties, there's, there's girls that are sitting there going, what happened? I thought we had a good thing going. You're like, ah, yeah. But then I met this person. It's like, wow, I mean, as a, as a player agent, it can, maybe it's just as simple as that sometimes, you know? So they, they went to spring break and that's someone else and you weren't doing anything wrong. But, and so it can, it can be, it can be crazy like that in that way. But, um, that's part of the business that you can, you need to learn. If you want to be in this business, you got to be okay with that. And, yeah. and maybe instead of complaining about it, you get, you bring guys like certain guys like that onto your team as well. And, right. and understand that's a part of it. You've got handlers. I'm 41 now. I, I don't connect with high school kids the way I used to. And so Maybe I'll get a high school kid because their parents like me, or maybe the kid is is just wired that way, or maybe I've got to bring in another guy from our firm to uh, be a part of the team as well because he can talk about shoes with them and talk about whatever new album or whatever. He yeah. knows how to do TikTok dances. Yeah, there's like a right. <laughs> certain level of cultural relevance that we're losing the older we get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. so it's it's sometimes it's like yeah, I'm a big brother to my players. Okay, and then sometimes I'm a father figure and uncle figure to players, and then sometimes I'm like. Look, I just want to be the attorney to this guy. Hey, so and so that works with me, you come here too, and you can talk to him every night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And baseball players I'm are okay notorious. Them viewing me as the attorney that Correct. talks to every now and then. We have a reputation as baseball players for being kind of petty, and I think maybe athletes in general having requests that sure. are probably like you should be able. Which my wife tells me all the time, you should be able to do this for yourself. Which is great to have somebody in your life who will tell you that to your face. Um, I've learned a lot of things that way. But early on, when you're talking about 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you probably yeah. got and still get uh, lots of strange and <laughs> off-putting requests from people to say, do you really want me to do that or try and do that? Do you have any memorable ones? Well, I'll say this to start. There's nothing more valuable than a good client services person. And if, and, and not all agencies have that or whatever can afford it. And some people are doing it themselves or whatever, but if you can find a good person that gets it and they're driven and they care about it, there's, there's, there's not, there's no amount of money you can pay. That'd be too much for the right client services person, because like you're saying, like it or not, that's a part of this business. It's, it's because think about it. Let's just say you've got a first round draft pick and you do a big first round deal and you make, you know, whatever you make on that and it's good money. Okay, that guy's seven years away from his first arbitration deal. You yep. got to maintain that relationship for seven years in our business, and and so client services, I welcome it as long as um as long as I don't start to feel like that's my only value to this person, right? Like as an agent, you don't want to feel like okay, I'm just a debit card for this guy to get equipment through, and I, I don't want to feel like okay, I'm just your ticket master. You know, yeah. I'm here to make sure you go to every NBA game this off season. So. You know, a couple of examples that are pretty funny is, uh, well, for one, I, I work with good people, man. Like, I've never had too many, like, wow, this guy's an asshole type requests. <laughs> it's it's more of just feel like, hey, bro, you asked for, like, 
tickets five times last week and you're going to come right back this week and ask for some more? Like, just can you take one week off? <laughs> like, or, or sometimes, sometimes guys' wives will be really wearing us out and they won't even realize it. And it's like, hey, do you know so-and-so's wife is like really blowing us up? We got to, and, and not even, and, and sometimes they don't even give us credit for it. And it's like, man, you can at least give us credit for like all the work we're doing and let right. the player know, you know? I had a guy one time, he had just got on the 40 man and he was a low draft pick from a small school. And boy, as soon as he got on the 40 man, he thought his life had changed maybe before it really had. And this one day he would go to a mall and as soon as he'd walk into the mall, he'd call me and be like, Hey, I'm going into this store. Can you call like gap corporate and see if they'll give me a deal? I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? And he walk out five minutes later. Hey man, I'm walking into this store. Will you call their corporate headquarters and let them know I, I play for this team and see if they'll give me a deal? Cause I'm on the, I'm in the big leagues now. And this guy would literally go store to store in this, in this trip <laughs> to the mall. And we were calling like the corporate headquarters of like 17 different companies all like on one trip. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like I may lose, I may have to fire this guy the day he got added to the 40 man <laughs> roster. Like I've never seen him. It was it was just that excitement of this guy, man. He's added to the 40. He's made it. He is now going to activate his agent. And I'm going shopping. And this was like 2009. This was like before, you know, you could hit up someone on social media and they could right. check you out real quick and like size you up, you know, and, and send you a free Traeger grill or whatever. But um, <laughs> So you get stuff like that. One of my favorites, though, is um, he it was and is a player that's just turned into one of my best friends. But he would have me set him up with women. And what I mean was he would, um, and this guy, he was a big leaguer, but he was a middle reliever. Okay. He, he wasn't playing in the all-star game, but he was a solid big leaguer. And he'd been, he'd been in the big leagues for a good minute. And he would, he, he called me up one day and he's like, Hey, this girl, and, and this girl was this country music star and like a star <laughs> star. And he was like, He's like, I'd literally love to meet her, man. You think you could like hook me up? I know you used to work at William Morris. Could you like call some of your connections? And this guy was just so confident. And I'm like, bro, are you kidding me? Like, you want me to set you up with this person who is literally like a nationally <laughs> famous country music star? So I was like, you know what? This is kind of comical. I'll make the effort. And so I made a few phone calls. My buddy, I, I got a hold of her manager pretty quick. And she felt it was like comical on her end too. She was like, really, this guy's having his agent call around to get my number. I at least have to like talk to this guy and see what it's about. Long story short, he calls her up. She ribs him, gives him a hard time. He's on a plane to Nashville the next day. Next thing you know, he's meeting her family. A week later, they're flying back to Charleston. A couple of weeks later, he's at the CMAs with her. They're what? dating. And then a month later... He's dumping her. Stop He's it. like, oh man, she's crazy. <laughs> God, we are the worst. <laughs> I, I was like, God bless you, man. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I thought you had no shot. This girl's a superstar. She's amazing. And now a month later, you're calling me saying that you're dumping her because she's crazy. And then, of course, a month later, he's got me calling like the runner up from Miss USA. And I said, and it was just hilarious. I was like, that's the type of client service. I was like, what other agent could you get that from? I'm hooking you up with beautiful women Seriously. all over the world. <laughs> so the amount see, of confidence um, for a middle reliever is just wild. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. This guy's only dated the most unbelievable. This guy's just so confident. He's amazing. He's uh, I love him to death. It's, it's amazing the, the life he's carved out for himself. Um, but so yeah, you get you've got the little knickknacky type things. You've got you know you got people to ask you for Super Bowl tickets the day before. 
um, and stuff like that. But uh, you see a little bit of everything. You got to gauge it. You got to figure out what the relationship is and whether whether they're in the relationship for the wrong reasons. And it's only a matter of time before they change you out for someone else. Or if, um, God bless them, that's just how they're wired and they're great people. And it's it's just part of it, you know. But it's all good. I think I, you just can't, you cannot pay enough for a good client service person or a good client services team, I should say, because they, they all help. It's all part of the relationship and you never know what's important to someone and, and what's not. And, and if that's something important to them, it's not for me to say it shouldn't be, you know? Absolutely. You know, I, I want to tell you like your reputation follows you in baseball You've been good to your clients. You've done amazing work. <laughs> and I, what you have in this game and what you have in this industry is your reputation at the end of the day. And right. uh, I want to commend you for having a long and illustrious career yourself. Um, and thank you for for being on the show. I got one yeah, more question too. for you. We, yeah. uh, it's, it's not um, serious at all, but we say it to everybody. Last thing that you listened to on purpose when you turned on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever it is. Let It Ride by Ryan Adams. Oh yes, God bless Ryan. Yeah, Ryan's been through some stuff, but man, I was just li- listening to the Cardinals album the other day, and he is so good. Oh my god! And it's the one band singer, whatever, that me and my wife will can agree on. Everything else my wife likes is trash. Everything <laughs> else I like, she thinks is trash. And Ryan Adams is like the one radio station we can share on Spotify. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. It's one of me and my uh, me and my siblings. It's like. Our OG will go back and listen to him. I have probably three. I don't have a lot of vinyls, but if I'm going to get something on vinyl and listen to an album, I love to put it on and uh, and play it. It's true singer songwriter, man. Oh man, singer songwriter. Both of my both of my brother and sister are both both moved up to Nashville to do singer songwriter stuff, among other things. So we've kind of had it in our family for a while. And uh, oh wow, I'm the dumb jock of the family who went to play baseball and do sports, but. We've got artists and writers and everybody else that are uh, <laughs> d- way more creative than me. <laughs> I think you've done okay. And, and I think you're going to, you know what, when baseball's done for you, I'm excited to see what's next because you got a great head on your shoulders. When, when we recruited you back in the day, it was the most thorough job wow. I've ever seen a player do. You arranged your own meetings and your process when that was so impressive. And you're like, just like our boy, Tony Kemp, you're like one of those guys where it's like, that guy doesn't need baseball to be successful in life. I'm excited to see whenever whenever you decide to get to that point, hopefully a long time from now, what's next for you, for sure. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been a blast and extremely uh, extremely good catching up with you. Uh, wishing you the best this season. Um, I think you're probably, Thank you. uh, you probably got a long few months ahead of you with 20 ARB cases. I wish you a lot of settlements and not a lot of in the room. <laughs> It wouldn't be 2020. We're going on 100 cases this year. Oh, all my the, all gosh. It is going Why to not? be an, a shit show of epic proportions, and I cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> hey, you Hey, you know what? You've been in the arbitration room more than a lot of agents, more than most agents. So you, you know it better than anybody. They may call you in as a consultant. I, well, yeah, I'll go. I'll go in. I've got. I've got. A, I got a couple. A couple experiences under my belt. I'll give him my two cents. Uh, well, be well, man. Thank you so much for right, everything, brother. and uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you.